on this episode of Preaching to Myself, we're going to take a break from focusing on what the Bible does say and talk about a few things that the Bible doesn't say. So let's get into it. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Preaching to Myself. My name is John Hill. Super excited to be hosting here once again. Had to take a little break from the last episode. Thanksgiving, super busy time. As a reminder, if you haven't already gotten involved on the socials, go to the link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Preaching to Myself. It has links to every platform that this podcast is on, I think. But also, more importantly the Facebook and the Instagram. Get involved. Hop into some of the posts. Join in the discussion. Uh, We want to build this thing out as kind of a cool online community of just people that are trying to figure out their faith in a more tangible way. This week, we are talking about things that the Bible doesn't say. That a lot of Christians say. You may be shocked that some of these things are nowhere to be found in the Bible. But before we get in to that. Let's take a little bit of a break and we will be right back. All right. Welcome back everybody to preaching to myself. This week we're talking about things that the Bible doesn't say. You know, it's kind of funny as Christians, we kind of have these little catchphrases like Christianese kind of phrases, sayings, things that we kind of, things that are kind of colloquial in our uh, kind of Christian canon um, these days. It could be tradition, could be things that we heard from our parents or our grandparents or things like that. And what got me started thinking about all this was um, a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, I was in a leadership training at church um, and my pastor, uh, Pastor Michael Bruski, um he actually has his own podcast. You should definitely check it out. It's awesome. Uh, it's called Flip the Script Podcast. Uh, definitely check that out. It's incredible. This past episode, he was talking to another awesome guy, uh, Eric Newman, about his uh, foundation and organization and taking uh, pain and struggle that you've gone through and turning it into purpose. And that's a tangent. Fantastic. You should definitely go check out Flip the Script Podcast if you have not already. But anyways, we were in this leadership training. And he was listing out all these things that, you know, people as leaders and leaders in our church should be doing. And one thing really stuck out to me. Uh, It it seemed pretty innocent and, and probably kind of a, maybe like a flyover thing for some people, but it really kind of challenged me to my core because of just kind of how I was brought up in church. And... I don't remember the exact phrasing, but essentially he said that leaders engage in expressive worship Um, in church. When worship is going on, you're involved, you're in it, you're, you know, hands up, you are uh, outwardly expressing um, worship towards God. And I never really thought about it in that sense, because of kind of the way that I was raised, uh, background on me, I was raised in a fundamentalist Baptist church and, uh, there, there was no, (laughs) there was no hand raising. There was no expression in worship. Uh, uh, worship was very wooden. It was 
it, to call it worship is kind of a <laughs> kind of overselling it. Um, there was piano and organ and sometimes a choir. Uh, what it was devoid of was any semblance of joy <laughs> or excitement or happiness of any kind. Um, and so there was a lot of when, when we started going to other churches, non-denominational, things like that, and places where worship is more expressive, kind of a fish out of water experience. And this isn't a recent thing, right? I left that church when I was like 15, 16 years old. So yeah, it was, <laughs> that was 20 years ago. And still these bad habits of like, you know, oh, like people are looking at me, like, you know, feeling like people are somehow judging me when they're totally not focused and definitely don't care uh, about me or what I'm doing because it's worship and they're supposed to be engaging with God as well. Um, but yeah, that, that really got me thinking because I had always kind of had this self saying, um, that I would always just say about myself, uh, just, you know what? I'm just not expressive in worship, which is totally a lie. Uh, and the thing that pastor Michael said that really stuck with me was that there is nothing in the Bible that supports being reserved in worship, in, in musical worship, right? Because anytime the Bible talks about musical worship and, and playing instruments, there's a lot of uh, stringed instruments and uh, dancing and singing and uh, hands lifted and, uh, you know, kneeling, you know what I mean? Like expressing yourself outwardly what's going on inside of your body and and there's freedom in that in the ability to just let go and just engage god on this like physical level um it's hard to explain that to anybody that doesn't <laughs> doesn't worship god but if you do worship god you that's kind of a concept that you uh, more understand. So I had to kind of rewrite this whole like soundtrack in my brain. This, this saying that I've been telling myself over and over, I, I'm just not expressive in worship that there's nothing in the Bible that supports that. And that got me thinking, man, what are some other things that we've just kind of believed our whole life about faith? or things that we've heard over and over again, that is not biblically supported, or at least just not found in the Bible. And so I kind of went on a fact-finding mission. I kind of had a personal Facebook post. That turned into a whole thing, by the way. Um, despite the fact that I would say 85% of my Facebook friends are Christians, you still can't talk about religion or politics without there being a fight. I'm telling you, just like I said in the Thanksgiving episode, don't engage. Don't talk about it. Nothing good comes from it. Anyways. So yeah, probably the first thing that I would say that I was telling myself that's not biblically supported is I'm just not expressive in worship. So let's talk about some more things. 
and, and maybe you've heard this before. God will never put more on you than you can handle. Really? God will never put more on you than you can handle? False. Uh, that That's not in the Bible. By the way, I, I want to make sure. None of this is intended to step on any toes, to call anybody out, to make anybody feel bad. Because again, this is something I had to go through and, and discover myself as well. I had some speculation, but I just wanted to make sure that I looked through these phrases, these catchphrases, and make sure that this stuff is you know either in the Bible or not. God will never put more on you than you can. I've heard this so many times, and it is not in the Bible. It's that that is not a true statement. Sometimes you will feel overwhelmed and at your limit in this life. You'll get there. You'll feel like your situation is too tough for you to handle. Good. God wants you to need him, right? Doesn't that make sense? God wants you to rely on him in every situation. So I think the saying, God will never put more on you than you can handle, is derived from uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says that God is faithful and he'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Because in temptation, God will always provide a way out, right? You can always go to him and he'll kind of sneak you out the back door out of temptation. But the idea that we'll never be in a situation that seems unbearable, I mean, that's not biblically supported. There will be times where we feel like just the weight of the world is just crushing us. Or we've gone through something traumatic, something devastating, and we can't handle it on our own. And that's perfectly okay. Don't get caught up in this lie that, uh, well, I mean, I have to be able to handle it because God won't put anything on me that I can't handle. No, God wants you to go to him. Go to him. Run to him. He needs you. Well, he doesn't need you to. He wants you, desperately wants you to come running to him. When you need help. Second thing is this. Or third thing. I don't know. This isn't a numbered list. It's fine. Next thing is God wants you to be rich and have an easy life. <laughs> False. That is not biblically supported at all. I don't. I mean, we all kind of know the, the, the idea, this concept of prosperity gospel. I don't even want to taint the word gospel with the prosperity teaching. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus promise anything about following him being easy. In fact, he said it's going to be tough. Jesus told his disciples that if they want to follow him, that they need to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him, because whoever loses their life will gain it. Whoever loses their life will save it. Whoever loses their life because of him will save it. There's a constant theme in the Gospels of humility in Jesus. First of all, he learned a skilled trade. He wasn't born, despite being a king of the, the kingdom of heaven, was not born into opulence, was not born into wealth. He's the son of, uh, earthly son of a 
a, a carpenter, a skilled tradesman. He, he worked with his hands. He wasn't a, a politician. He wasn't in government. He humble beginnings from a, a nowhere town like Nazareth that, that people were like, what good comes out of Nazareth, right? But humility is in him. Luke 9, 58, Jesus said, Foxes have burrows and birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus was like, yo, I'm homeless. <laughs> that, that three years that he spent in ministry, he was homeless. Him and his disciples, they lived off of the kindness of people. They lived off of love and kindness from others. That is the ultimate humility and faith, really. To be able to step out and say, I don't even know where I'm sleeping tonight, but when we get to this next town, somebody's going to put us up. God isn't saying that your destiny is to be rich. Because Jesus lived a not rich life his entire time on earth. And I feel like if anyone deserves all of the riches and opulence on that, that planet earth has to offer... It's Jesus himself, right? So if we're following Jesus, we need to understand that rich, poor, like it doesn't matter. We use what we have for the cause of the kingdom of heaven and not, you know, trying to just out there chase paper. That is not what this thing is about. Next thing is this. Money, keeping with the money theme, money is the root of all evil. False. I don't. Okay. I get where this statement comes from. First Timothy six, six through 10 says this godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we can be content with these, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have walked away from the faith. So that's the real phrase. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. See, the Bible says nobody can serve two masters. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money. Having money isn't bad per se, but it can cause temptation. God calls us to be generous and to provide for others. And when you have a lot, it's tempting to hold on to a lot because this, this is mine. I got it. It's mine. But listen to, to my broke people. All right. <laughs> We can be stingy too. Us, us normal people, we can absolutely be stingy and uh, not generous and hoarding as if, because no matter what, wealth is comparison, right? Like, if you're listening to this and, and you're living in America like me, on the grand scheme, compared to the entire world at large, we're doing okay. <laughs> we're, we're doing all right uh, financially. And so it, it, the scripture says here, godliness with contentment is great gain. 
It's all about being content. If we have food and clothing, we, be, we can be content with this. Jesus calls us like, he says, hey, if you have two shirts, you see somebody that doesn't have one, give them a shirt, man. I don't know if he said it exactly like that, but you know what I mean. He calls us to be generous givers. That's the best way that we can show God that we're faithful with what he's given to us. By saying, you know what? We're going to give to others. So no, having money isn't bad. Okay? Loving money, falling into that temptation, into that trap to hoard and to keep without being generous. Now, do I think you should be like a hype beast and just like, you know, flexing like crazy shoe game and like watch game, whatever? Like, I don't know what your budget is like. That's between you and the Lord. But also, it's kind of not a good look. So I don't know. Like, you do you. <laughs> but, you know, I'll, I'll keep rocking my $20 Casio and and a pair of Vans. You know, I, I don't need all that stuff. I'm a dad. I just... <laughs> I'm not into that kind of stuff, but so no, I don't fall into the trap of money being the end all be all. Cause man, we serve a God that's so much bigger than money, so much bigger than money. Money is nothing to God. Here's another one. Another interesting thing. Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason false. The Bible doesn't say that. You know who said that? Marilyn Monroe said that. So I guess that's close. No, so the the closest thing in the Bible to that is probably Romans 8:28. It says that we we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God, who are called according to his purpose. So the context of this is that Paul was talking about Christians longing for the day when we can get to be with Christ and looking forward with that hope and being content with where we are and trusting that God will take care of us. Does everything happen for a reason? I don't know. I feel like stuff just happens sometimes. Good things just happen. Sure, God blesses us. Absolutely. Look for blessings. Look for God at work in different aspects of your life. Bad things happen. That doesn't mean like, oh, God, let this happen. How could he? Sometimes stuff just happens. And it is what it is. This world is, is not heaven. And we need to stop acting like it should be. We can make it as much as possible. We can work to bring the kingdom of heaven down, but... We got to stop expecting everything around us and every non Christ following person and thing around us to act like they're supposed to be following Christ because that, that's unrealistic. This world is not our home. This is not our kingdom. This is, this is not the end. So don't look towards earth to, to be, well, everything, everything has to be orchestrated. Everything stuff just happens. We're called to trust God, no matter what happens, no matter what your circumstances, no matter what curveball seems to be thrown your way. I think Christians focus too much 
on trying to make sure that something bad doesn't happen instead of preparing their hearts to be at peace when bad things do happen. So I'm going to rewind that and kind of slow it down a bit. I think Christians focus too much on trying to make sure that something bad doesn't happen instead of preparing our hearts to be at peace when something bad does happen. Because bad's going to come. But is our heart ready? Is our mind in a place? Are we close enough to Christ to be able to just go directly to him instead of completely freaking out when something bad happens? That's the real test. Are we going to go to God when things go sideways? Does everything happen for a reason? I don't know. I know that nothing surprises God. But I don't know if he's sitting there behind a switchboard with a bunch of levers saying like, oh, I'm going to put a nail in their tire right now. Like that <laughs> stuff just happens sometimes. And what God is looking out for is, is our, is our heart lined up in such a way that when that bad comes, that we can handle it the way that he wants us to handle it. Next thing says this. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Oh boy. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Uh, false. <laughs> that is not in the Bible. This phrase doesn't show up anywhere in the Bible at all. Yet so many people know this one. Hate the sin, love the sinner. We hear it all the time. So I get the implied sentiment about this. Love people despite their actions. Cool. Sounds great. But when we use it, where's our heart at? Where's our heart at when, when we use a phrase like this? Because I feel like this is kind of the Christian version of like a good old deep Southern bless their heart. While using this phrase as, as an excuse to just gossip about people. Be real. Be real. Are we using this phrase to gossip about people? Jude chapter 1, 22 and 23 says, To have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. That's probably the closest thing the Bible has to that phrase. So what does all that mean? It means to love people no matter if they believe or not. It says to have mercy on those who waver. But it says to hate the even the garment defiled by the flesh. Don't be corrupted by the ways of this world. God calls us to go into the world. Carry his word, his gospel to the world. So we have to be in the world. We have to be around this stuff. We have to try to reach out to people. We got to make sure we're pulling them up and that the world isn't pulling us down. But at the end of the day, the whole hate the sin, love the sinner thing. I feel like that's another way for us to just point at everybody else judgmentally and condescendingly instead of pointing in at ourselves. Because it's super tempting and it's so much easier to just be like, boy, at least I'm not as messed up as them. Check out their sin. It's totally different than mine. 
right? But it's time that we take that pointing finger and turn it in on ourselves. Where are my shortcomings? Where do I need to improve? How can I tighten up? How do I make sure that I don't fall into those same kinds of traps? Listen, just because other people's sins are different than yours doesn't mean that you don't have them. You st- you sin too, pal, okay? I, w- I legit want a mirror in, a- in front of me while I preach and record this podcast. We all get caught up in it. We all get caught up in, in sin, and it's so tempting to just be like, check them out. Yikes, right? The yikes is on us. Let's start yikesing ourselves. Next thing says this, cleanliness is next to godliness. You ever heard that one? It's false. Um, I'm pretty sure this one was made up uh, by your grandparents when they wanted you to clean up after yourselves. Was that just me? Just my... (laughs) Just my grandmother. I mean, of course, the Bible doesn't support the idea that you're somehow more Christ-like if you wash behind your ears. God looks at the heart, right? Psalm 51.10 says, uh, uh, the psalmist said to create in me a, a clean heart, Lord, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Not to say that outward cleanliness doesn't matter. People will make judgment calls about you based on your appearance or smell or whatever. And clean your room, too. (laughs) Boy, this is definitely called preaching myself, isn't it? It helps your mental state. Real talk. A clean space helps your mental state. So yeah, no, it's not wrong. It's just not in the Bible. You're not somehow more godly just by, you know scrubbing out your belly button and picking up your clothes off the floor. But it it's helpful. <laughs> it's helpful in many, many, many different aspects. But no, the, God, uh, the Bible does not say that. Here's another one. The Lord works in mysterious ways. False. I'm pretty sure that's a U2 lyric. <laughs> Is that... Lord moves in mysterious ways. Is that it? No. Um, actually... I, I did research, guys. Be shook right now. I did research. It's from uh, The Lord Works in Mysterious Ways. Is from a poem written in 1773 by William Cowper called Light Shining Out of the Darkness. So, at least you learned one thing <laughs> listening to this podcast. So, like I said, I get the uh, intent behind... The phrase. Isaiah 55, 9 says, uh, For as heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God operates in a capacity in which we can't comprehend with our puny human minds. Right? I can't figure God out. And I'm super stoked about that. I'm so glad that I can serve a God that I don't have figured out. I don't want to be as smart as God. Because if I understand the God that I'm serving, he's not all that great. Right? 
his ways are higher than ours. He is so far beyond anything that we can comprehend. So yeah, the Lord works in mysterious ways. The way that it's used makes it sound like he's like maybe a magician or like Doctor Strange or something, but no. We don't understand the way that God operates, but the phrase the Lord works in mysterious ways was written by a poet. Definitely not in the Bible. Last thing. Last thing is this. This too shall pass. Uh, false. That is not found in the Bible. I'm pretty sure this one is Gandalf, right? This too shall pass. No. Actually, again, I did research. Gosh, man, I'm doing research. Look at me doing research for a podcast. Actually, this is an old Persian adage that was written into English by Edward Fitzgerald and later used in a speech by Abraham Lincoln in the 1850s. Fun fact. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18 says, For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So yeah, you know what? This too shall pass. We'll be gone. The Bible says that our life is is like a vapor. We're here one day, we're gone the next. We don't know how much time we have left. And for when people use this phrase, it's usually, you know, like, hey, you're going through a rough time, but, the, you know, you know what the word says, this too shall pass. The Bible doesn't say that, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. For following Christ, there's always something better. Even if that better is heaven. Even if that better happens to no longer be on this earth. We look forward to that. If I live, I live for Christ. But to die is gain. When we're not here, we made it. We're in heaven. We did it. Mission accomplished, everybody. So yeah, you know what? It's not in the Bible, but heck yeah, man. This will pass. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that you're going through, it'll pass. Follow Christ. Stick close to him. I feel like that's a theme throughout all this. I started having fun with these phrases that are kind of in our Christianity zeitgeist. But to be honest, a lot of the stuff just comes back to, you know, just stick close to Christ. Rely on him. Follow him. Love him. Do what he tells us. Be obedient. And the rest will work out. I feel like too often we try to fill in some gaps as if God isn't enough. We try to rationalize things that we don't need to rationalize. Not everything needs an explanation. Not everything needs some hashtagable, tweetable, cutesy phrase about it. We don't need to make up phrases just to make us feel better about our current situation. Understand that God loves you fiercely and, and he wants to help you through it, whatever it is. So just go back to him time and time and time again. Go back to him. Talk to him. Pray him, pray to him. Worship him. And he won't steer you wrong. I'm telling you, you, you will not be a worse person 
by talking to <laughs> talking to God more. All we can do is do better, right? So that's all I got. Thank you so much for listening to yet another episode of Preaching to Myself. Thank you so much for tuning in. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can leave a review. Thank you so much for everybody that's done that so far. I was reading some uh, because apparently I'm an egomaniac. I'm just kidding. But it, it was really awesome and, and humbling and, and very sweet. Um, and share this with your friends if, if you find some benefit to it. I'm so thankful for every single person that listens. And uh, I'm just putting it out there. I feel like God's going to put it in the right ears. So anyways, be back here for the next episode of Preaching to Myself. Love you guys. Peace. Peace.